It's good to see all of you out this evening. Tonight I'd like to spend a little, a little time looking at John chapter 9. And in John 9 we find the story of the man, the blind man that was healed by Jesus. A miracle, a miracle that is only found in the Gospel of John. In chapters 1 through 4 of the book we see Jesus in the early part of his ministry. Him going out and introducing himself as the Son of God and seeing how people uh, take to that. In chapters 5 through 12 of the book, word has spread of this name, man named Jesus, and in these chapters we see Jesus opposed, and that's something that's very evident in chapter 9. And this takes place during the third year of Jesus' ministry. So if you would grab a Bible, we'll read through the chapter. <clears throat> and at the end of chapter 8, we, see, we find the Pharisees and Jesus in a disagreement. And the Pharisees had become so angry that they had picked up stones and tried to stone him, but we see that he fled before, before they could do that, and that's where we pick up in chapter 9. Start by reading verses 1 through 5. <clears throat> now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned that this man or his parents that he was born blind? Jesus said, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. <clears throat> so as they come along, this blind man, the disciples asked, who sinned and caused this man to be blind? Was it him or his parents? And the disciples assumed, as well as most of the Jews of this time, that all suffering, or majority of suffering, was primarily the cause, that sin was primarily, if not the exclusive cause of all suffering. It also was believed that sin could be inherited or passed down, but we know from scriptures that this is not the case and that all humans are born innocent. And the disciples were missing the point that Jesus was trying to make. Jesus tells them neither sinned, but through this blind man, the works of God could be revealed. And this is a common theme that we can see throughout the book of John. And something that sets the book apart from the other Gospels. That through Jesus' miracles and signs, the people would believe that he was the Son of God. Back in John 4, verse 48, we see the nobleman who pleaded with Jesus to heal his son who was sick. And Jesus says, except you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Jesus knew their hearts and knew that they needed to see miracles in order to believe. So that's what he gave them. He goes on to say that while I am on earth, while it is day, I will do God's work. Let's continue in verses 6 and 7. When he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with his saliva, and he anointed the eyes of the blind men with the clay. And he said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. And he went and washed and came back seen. In this verses, we read of the miracle, how Jesus spat in the dirt and with his hands made clay and anointed the man's eye, eyes and sent him to wash. And we can see that this required some faith on the, blind, on the blind man's part. He could have said, well, this isn't gonna work and wiped the mud off and went along his way. We can also see right later in this chapter that it had never been seen or never had anyone been healed from blindness. Just another reason for the man to doubt. But we see that he had faith, he went and washed, and received his sight. Let's continue in verses 8 through 12. Therefore the neighbors of those who previously had seen that he was blind said, Is this not he who sat and begged? 
Some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. He said, I am he. Therefore they said to him, How were your eyes opened? He answered and said, A man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, and I washed. And I went and washed and received my sight. And they said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. Immediately we see people start to doubt what was done. Neighbors, people that saw him on a daily basis begin to question, Is this the man that was blind? Some say, Yes, this is him, while others say, No, it just looks like him. While, and we see that the formerly blind man speaks up, saying, It's me. Continuing in verse 13. They brought him who, was formerly, who formerly was blind to the Pharisees. Now was the Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. When the, then the Pharisees also asked him, how, asked him again how he had received his sight. And he said to them, He put clay on my eyes and washed, and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So here we see the Pharisees coming to the picture, asking how the man received his sight. He tells the story, and they proceed to call Jesus a sinner, saying, Jesus cannot be of God, because he does not keep the Sabbath. It's a sim similar situation to one that we can find in chapter 5 of John, where the Pharisees again tried to condemn Jesus for healing on the Sabbath. <clears throat> but we know that these are not real Sabbath rules, not ones given by God anyways. Yes, God had commanded the people to rest, and it was a gift for the rest from their labor. But we see that the Jews took this and they added to it, to make, made it more dramatic, you might say, trying to enforce that absolutely no work, no, absolute, no, no matter how small, was not allowed. So we see that he didn't break any of God's commandments, just some of their man-made traditions. And we see that they were just trying to find fault in Jesus. Continuing in verse 17, <clears throat> They said to the blind man again, What do you say about him because he opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. But Jesus did not believe concerning him and he had, that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him who had received his sight. And they asked him, saying, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered them and said, We know, not, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but by what means he now sees we do not know, or who opened his eyes we do not know. He is of age, ask him. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was the Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, He is of age. Ask him. The Pharisees didn't believe, didn't believe so they went and asked the parents. Asking, how does, this, how does he now, now, now see? The parents agreed but that this was their son and that he was born blind, but they had no interest in answering the question how he received his sight or by, by who he received his sight. That's because they feared the Jews and feared being thrown out of the synagogue. Something else that is mentioned throughout the book of John, that people would not speak openly of Christ or confess him or tell what they had seen because they feared the Jews. So the parents say, he's of age, he can answer for himself, go ask him. And we see that's what the Pharisees did. 
This all just caused me to wonder why all this was included in the scriptures, this continual back and forth between the Pharisees and the parents and the Pharisees and the blind man. And I believe it was to show the willful unbelief of the Pharisees, how they refused to believe that Jesus was the Son of God, regardless of the evidence. Let's read verses 24 through 34. So they again called the man who was blind and said to him, Give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered and said, Whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know, that through, though I was blind, now I see. Then they said to him again, What did he do to you? He did, how did he open your eyes? He answered them, I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to be his disciples? Then they reviled him and said, You are his disciples, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we do not know where he is from. The man answered and said to them, Why is this a marvelous thing, that you do not know where he is from? Yet he has opened my eyes. Now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. Since the word began, since the world began, it was has been unheard that anyone anyone opened their eyes, that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man was not from God, he could do nothing. They answered and said to him, You were completely born in sin, and you are teaching us, and they cast him out. So here we find a heated exchange between the, blind, the formerly blind man and the Pharisees. We see that the, finally, that the Pharisees finally do believe that he was healed, and they, they accepted that fact because they said, Give God the praise. God has healed you. However, they wanted the blind man to admit that Jesus was a sinner for violating their traditions. For the third time, they asked him, How did you receive your sight? The blind man says, I've already told you, why do you ask again? Do you want to be his disciples? And we see the Pharisees took offense to this and threw it back in, in his face as if it was an insult. They say, you're Jesus' disciples as to say, you are the one that is wrong. You are the sinner, not us. Again, this tells us a lot about the attitude of the Pharisees, how they wanted no association with Jesus. They had already made up their mind that Jesus was not the Messiah, and they refused to accept him no matter what he did or said. They accepted, the miracle that, they accepted that the miracle had happened, but they couldn't accept Jesus. The blind man acknowledged that there was no way Jesus could have done this marvelous things except he be from God. The Pharisees arrogantly respond, saying, You are the sinner. You were the one born in sin. You're the blind one, and you dare teach us, the Pharisees? and they proceeded to cast him out of the synagogue. Let's read verse 35 through the end of the chapter. <clears throat> Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and when he said, and when he had found him, he said to him, "Do you believe in the Son of God?" He answered and said, "Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him?" And Jesus said to him, "Ye have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you." Then he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may be made blind. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and said to him, Are we blind also? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say we see, therefore your sin remains. 
The blind man again comes face to face with Jesus, and once he realizes who he's talking to, he falls down and worships, worships him and confesses him. Along with the amazing miracles Jesus performed, we know that he never missed an opportunity to preach and to teach. And that's exactly what we find in the last three verses of this chapter. Teaching that we should take heed of today. I'd first like to take away that we should be doing God's work every day. Let's go back and read verses 4 through 5 of John 9. Jesus says, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. It's amazing to me to think that Jesus' ministry was only about three and a half years long, but yet he was able to accomplish so much. That's because he recognized that his time on earth was short, and he was going to spend that time serving God and doing God's will. And we know that that's something that we should do as well. You might say, well, there's a lot of differences between the life of Jesus and my life. We know that Christ was sent to this earth to fulfill a prophecy, to lead by example, to leave us an example, to die for the remission of sins. Of course, the Son of God is going to be about his Father's business. On the other hand, we were created by God and put on this earth to serve and to seek him and strive to follow his will. But we know that we also have worldly responsibilities. We must, we have worldly responsibilities we must tend to. We have jobs that we have to take care of in order to provide a living for our families, to raise children and sustain life on this earth. However, we can't let these things distract us from God and our worldly responsibilities or use them as an excuse not to serve him. We have jobs, but through them, we can be a light for Christ, leading by example, having our speech and conduct reflect that of a Christian, raising our children and our families with those same values, striving to pray without ceasing throughout our day, being a positive example to those around us. Matthew 6, verse 33 says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. We need to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness first, making Christ and spiritual matters a priority, that through our worldly responsibilities we are able to glorify God and serve him. Something else that is different between our lives and Christ's is that Jesus knew when his time on earth would come to an end. He knew when and how he would die. So he knew how long he had to accomplish what he needed to. Let's read Second Peter verses, uh, chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. <clears throat> but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in them will be burned up, Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hasting the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Unlike Jesus, we don't know when our time on earth will end. It will come as a thief in the night without warning, so we can't make the mistake of thinking we have plenty of time. To think, oh, I'll study my Bible more next year. I'll make a a relationship with Christ a priority next year. I have plenty of time to talk to my coworker about God. I have plenty of time to get my life right with God. 
We have no excuse, but should be be prepared and looking forward to that day we are called home, having our lives right with Christ today. Secondly, I'd like to take away that we should fear God, not men. We can see a big contrast between the blind man and his parents. When the parents were confronted, they were quick to avoid the question. They said, we don't know how our son received his sight or by who. He's of age, go ask him. him." And we know they did this because they feared the Jews, feared loss of social status or whatever other harm the Jews might cause them. So I ask who had the most to gain by rejecting Christ and siding with the Jews, the blind man or his parents? We read that the blind man was a beggar on the street. It's safe to assume that he had no home or money. The only thing he had was the title of a beggar. But now he could see, he could do all the things he couldn't before. He no longer had to be just a beggar, but he could side with the Pharisees, gaining their favor and social status, pursuing worldly pleasures, but we see that he chose Christ instead. He didn't back down from the Pharisees or fear their power, but he boldly stood up to them and proclaimed his belief in God. And we know it's easy for us to proclaim God in this building, but what about when we leave the building? A godly fear should lead us to tell others where our joy, joy comes from, to tell us of the salvation that is made possible through Christ and all that he offers us, not fearing what people might say or do. Let's read uh, 1 Peter 3, verse 15. 1 Peter 3, verse 15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Not that we do any of this with an arrogant or self-righteous attitude, but with fear and humility because we recognize that we need Christ and that we have a genuine concern for the souls of others. We can see Christ teach, them, teach this as well in uh, Matthew 10, verse 27 and 28. Matthew 10, verse 27. Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light, and whatever you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. Admonition and telling us to proclaim Christ and what his word teaches. Verse 28, and, to, and do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. We understand the power of our creator, and we see that demonstrated in the Bible, demonstrated on those that chose to disobey him or his enemies. But on the other hand, we can see the rewards and the blessings that come to those that follow him and reverence him. He created us with free will, meaning we have the ability to choose who we will serve. And it's up to us where we will spend eternity. Again, we can have that godly fear that directs our life and leads us to serve him. Or we can allow the fear of man, the fear of embarrassment, fear of loss of worldly possessions, loss of social status, fear of ridicule, allow these things to control us and dictate where we will spend our eternity. I encourage you to choose Christ just as the blind man did. I'd lastly like to look at the last three verses in John 9. Let's start reading in uh, verse 39. And Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not see may see, 
and those who may that those who see may see and those who see may be made blind then some of the pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him said to him are we blind also jesus said to them if you if you were blind you would have no sin but now you say we see therefore your sin remains <clears throat> Let's also turn and read a Matthew 13, verses 13 to 15, to parallel what we read here in John 9. John 13, verses 13 through 15. Jesus says, Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them the prophecies of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will... Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull, the ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should, so that I should heal them. <clears throat> Again, Jesus knows the hearts of the people. The Jews were so prideful and set in their ways, and they thought they knew what was best. <clears throat> Not accepting Jesus' miracles or listening to his teaching. They convinced themselves that he was not the Messiah. They thought they saw the truth when in fact they were blind and were missing what was right in front of them. The blind man, on the other hand, was blind not only physically but also spiritually. He hadn't closed himself off to Jesus' teachings and to Jesus' signs. He had an open heart, and he soaked up what Jesus had to say, and because of that, he was, he was healed and accepted Jesus as the Son of God. Back in John 9, we see that some of the Pharisees were standing around as Jesus was teaching, and when they heard that, they asked Jesus, Are we blind also? And we see his response in verse 41. Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no sin. Now you say, we see, therefore your sin remains. We know that the Pharisees were recognized as guides for the people on spiritual matters. But we've noticed that they had a pride issue. Christ says, if you were blind, in other words, if you were in darkness and wanted light, truly wanted to seek and discern what Christ was about, then you would have no sin. Jesus says, now you say we see, therefore your sin remaineth. They claim to be the light, to possess the light, and to know the truth, but they rejected Christ, proving their sin and what was truly in their hearts. Instead of recognizing that they were lost and in darkness and seeking Christ to bring them into the light. In reading and studying this, it's easy for us to begin to point the finger to think of people we may have studied with that rejected Christ's plan of salvation, or to think of people that we might disagree with on spiritual matters and think, how could they be so blind? How could they be so closed-minded? But tonight, I want us to turn that around and to look at ourselves tonight. When we open up the scriptures, we should do so with an open mind and with an open heart, setting aside our preconceived ideas and agendas. If we have an agenda or a point to prove, we can open the Bible and interpret a verse in a way that benefits us and helps us prove our point, but it very well could be the incorrect interpretation of that verse. Exploiting the Bible for our own benefit. And we can make the same mistakes that the Pharisees made when it comes to scriptures. Thinking we have the answers, being prideful in our knowledge, 
instead of seeking the answers in truth. We need to humble ourselves and be teachable. And I know that's something that's a lot easier said than done. And it's not something that we can just open the Bible and expect that to happen. But it requires meditation and prayer that we approach the word with the correct mindset. Setting aside our pride in what we think we know. Philippians 2 verse 12 says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. We need to make sure that we don't just believe what we believe because we've heard it from a preacher. Or we just believe what we do because our parents told us. But we need to believe what we do because we have opened up the scriptures and studied it out for ourselves. And taken heed to God's teachings. And that we use those teachings to shape our life. That we examine our lives and look inward and look, examine ourselves and look inward and find those own, our own blind spots. Those places in our lives where we are falling short of God's will. Proverbs 16 verse 18 said, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. <clears throat> Jesus tells us, or sorry, pride tells us that we are good enough, that there is no room for improvement tells us that we are self-sufficient, causing us to compare ourselves with others. Being blind to our own sin because we look down the pew or at the people around us and say, I'm better off. My struggles and sins don't compare to theirs. And it causes us to look around our own sin and to justify our own shortcoming. When we hear a lesson from the pulpit, are we only thinking of how it applies to those around us? Do we leave the assemblies thinking, man, I wish so-and-so would have been here to hear that lesson. They could have really used it. Instead, we need to look inward and see how we can improve our own walk with Christ. Self-examination should not be an introspective self-obsession. That we are, we are not to be self-absorbed and looking to see how we feel about ourselves or how we compare to other people. But again, we need to open the scriptures and when we open the scriptures and hear admonition from the pulpit, we need to look inward and see how we measure up against God's standards, seeking Jesus to bring us into the light. It's my prayer that something that we've talked about this evening has been beneficial to you and helped you in some way. I'd like to offer the Lord's invitation at this time. If there's someone who's uh, been struggling and needs the prayers of the church in any way, the congregation here would love to help you and pray for you. Or if there's someone who's been sufficiently taught and wishes to be baptized, please come as we stand and sing.